here today did not know that we have Timberline Church has a coffee shop and a church in downtown Fort Collins. How many of you did not know that? Well, you are in for a treat today because I want to introduce to you the wonderful leadership of Timberline Old Town. Would you let these guys know we're glad they're here today? Daryl, thank you. Well, hello, I'm Darren, the pastor at Timberline Old Town, and uh, we love this town too, and God loves this town, and Timberline Church, I think, has proven over time that they love this city in northern Colorado, and that's the heart of God. God loved the world, and so he, he gave, right? But before that, there was a poem, and I've been thinking about poetry as my ages advance um as my age advances sorry you do that i've been thinking about this old poem for the last few years going on four years i've been thinking about a poem about a a figure that would come from isaiah said he would come from jesse he would be a branch he would be a figure he would be the messiah as we know now and he, it's a beautiful poem. You've heard it in Isaiah 11. There's one particular part of it that has always been very interesting to me and should be interesting to all of us, not just the children. And that is this, when, I, when the poet writes, and the wolf, when this figure comes, the wolf and the lamb will dwell together. Doesn't that catch you? And I always thought, well, that's nice. The big bad wolf won't, won't be big and bad anymore. You know, when Jesus comes or when we go to heaven. And then I think that I'm the lamb and other people are the wolf. So one day the bad people will be good and the good people won't have to be afraid of them. I've, I've rethought that. And lately I've been thinking about this poem this way. The wolf and the lamb don't belong together. We don't see them together. And I think that is the presence of Christ. Who is with you in this room with whom you would not be were it not for the compelling love of God. He put us together. We just ended up in a room together. And I think that's a lot of what I see downtown in the coffee house and the churches. Like you can't, there's a homeless guy. Oh, there's the district attorney in the room together. And this is what the presence of Christ should manifest in our lives, that we end up in a room with other people that we would have never been together with except for Christ. This past year, the presence of Christ has put us as a church in a room with with play, things like the Matthews House, who, who serve at-risk youth. We're partnering with them. The presence of Christ is put in this room with people from Crossroads who, who reach out to victims of domestic abuse. And we, we're serving with them to Catholic missions and homeless care who reach out to the homeless in our society because they are here. And Spring Creek Nursing Home with people who have been forgotten. And so the presence of Christ has compelled us and put us in a room. If you want to talk to us about some of those things that we're doing and have begun to do this year, I'd love to talk to you. We'll be at table nine. This job also has put me in a room with this man in the vertically striped shirt, Chris Hess, the director of Everyday Joe's Coffee House. Nice. Makes me look taller. I've tucked my shirt in for the first time in months today. That's what happens when I don't have clean clothing. Um, I am Chris. I am the executive director of Everyday Joe's Coffeehouse, which is the nonprofit coffeehouse that is the outreach ministry of Timberline Old Town, and it is a ministry based on relationship and loving the people of our city. And 
uh, I can only do so much and Darren can only do so much. And that's why we have this woman that works with us. Her name is Diana Sitzman. She is our assistant director and our volunteer coordinator. And she is the glue that holds it together. And she has several lovely things to say to you. Thank you. Um, like Chris said, my name is Diana. Um, Chris and myself, or Chris and I, I guess is proper grammar, um, are the only two paid employees at the coffee house. Everyone else is a volunteer, um, and that includes people who make coffee for you behind the bar and people who run sounds for concerts, and um, we're always in need of new volunteers, so if you're interested in helping out um, either behind the bar or in the sound booth or with anything that Darren just talked about or with anything that Chris is about to talk about, we will be at table nine um, in the mall after the service, or you can just come by... Um, we're 144 South Mason, so just downtown. Um, come stop by. We'll have have chat or have coffee if you're there at the shop during the week. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. Last week, Diana and I took four of our volunteers and volunteers slash board members with us to Anaheim, California, for the Specialty Coffee Association of America annual convention. And there's 3,000 over-caffeinated people running around a convention center and hugging each other and shaking hands and sharing coffee secrets. And it was wonderful because we love the people of Fort Collins, but we've also felt it really pushed on us this past few months to we need to be loving the people of the specialty coffee industry in the same way. So we got to do that, and it was great. But while we were out there, we headed down to the University of California, Irvine, to hear a man speak who began an organization called Not For Sale, which is an organization that battles modern slavery, slavery and human trafficking. And he urged everyone to be aware of those things, but the point that he got to in his lecture was that we have our careers and we have our vocation. Our career is what we do for a living to make money. He's a professor at University of San Francisco. It's what he does. And then we have our vocation in the kingdom of God. And it's this thing that we are gifted to be doing, and we can use it as part of our career, but it won't necessarily make us money all the time. And we're uniquely created with these gifts that should be used to serve people. And before we went out to California, I actually had the question in my head of what else can everyday Joes be doing to serve God and to serve people and to serve his kingdom? And the answer that had been coming up is it was time for everyday Joes to expand in the form of a mobile espresso service. Not necessarily a coffee cart, but a mobile service that we can take to places like conventions that want that want espresso drinks or uh, weddings and event centers and that sort of thing. So it is an extra source of income for the organization so we can continue to support Fort Collins with relationship. But it is also an opportunity for us to be present in places that we haven't been present before, like New West Fest and Taste of Fort Collins and Brew Fest and that sort of thing and have booths set up to just serve people coffee and even to donate our time and services to other organizations needing that sort of thing for fundraisers they're putting on so we can serve them. And we truly see crafting these drinks as a form of art because we're all made to create and we create these things to serve people and coffee and live music are just the way we start relationship. And so we want to get into the community more with this mobile espresso service. And if you'd like to know how to partner with us on that, again, we'll be at table number nine. Um, table nine. So stop by and say hi. We can talk about that, about how you can help us out, about how you can be involved at 144 South Mason. And we love all of you very much. We love this man coming up to hey. tell you important things. Love you guys. Thank you, sir. Hey, Appreciate let's say it. thank you. 
Diana, Chris, and Darren. What a great team. What a great team of people. And, and boy, they said it. We are one. And TOT is a part of our DNA and us, them. It's just wonderful to be connected and everyday Joe. So thanks, you guys, for being here this weekend. Please go by and talk to them at Table 9 and uh, make yourself at home. How you doing? Enjoying some sunshine, I know. And uh, that's always kind of fun on a weekend like this. And it's spring, so you never know. You know, air conditioning, heater, it goes, it goes big swings all the time. But we are so delighted that you were here. A couple of weeks ago, I launched a three-week series uh, called Life After Easter. And what does it mean for the disciples to deal with the reality that Jesus is gone? They, they watched him die. He was put in the grave. But then this really unique thing happened called the resurrection. And they are now seeing him. He's popping up in rooms and coming through doors. And all of a sudden he's talking to people, eating with people. You heard Dick Foth last night, talking or last week, talking about eating. How many of you enjoyed that? It made me hungry watching that uh, online the other day. But Jesus is not afraid to show up in our lives even when we're uncomfortable or we don't know what to do. Today I've, I've called this message, Fishing Story 153. <laughs> now, how many of you have an idea why I called it that? Just, just give me a peek. Okay, a few of you. It's because the number of fish caught in this story is 153. And uh, I want to talk about the power of this story. But the message is really about this. It's kind of a one-point message, even though the back of your bulletin has a lot of blanks. It's kind of a one-point message that's saying, God cares about you even when you are uncertain in life. And that's a lot of you today. There's a a lot of weird and interesting issues going on in people's lives in this culture, this time between... The blending of the world between, you know, racist issues, between the economic issues that we're facing right now. There are so many challenges that are putting people in unique places where they're just not sure. There's uncertainty. Besides, I love a good fishing story. Anybody have a good fishing story? I, uh, one of my, I have a lot of fishing stories. Not a lot, but a few. But, you know, as a dad of three kids and Bonnie and I, you know, you got to teach your kids to fish when they're young, and it's Colorado, and so we're up there in the little lakes, you know. And the dad's job to me was reduced to basically fixing fishing line and unhooking hooks from tree limbs. I don't even understand what I'm saying. That's really all you do. You just go from one kid to the next kid, and trying to hand them one you just fix and take the one that has the big ball of line, you know, sticking out and stuff, and then cutting it off and starting over. You know how that goes. Well, I was uh, in the toolbox, and I had just bent over to get something out of the toolbox when Ryan, he's probably, what, six or seven, goes back with this huge cast because he's all into how far he can throw the hook. And whack, the hook went right in my bottom. I mean, hard. And uh, he's like, Dad, I'm snagged. I'm like, I know, I know. Felt like a bee sting or something, and we could not get the hook out. The barb had gone like way in there. I'm serious. I couldn't, I didn't have the strength to pull it out. And Bonnie's like, Terry, I can't pull it out. This is awful. I said, get the pliers and hook it on there and pull. And 
And I said, I'm not going to ER with a fish hook in my bottom, only to walk in to have someone say, hi, Pastor Derry, what can we do for you today? She got it out. I still have the scar to prove it. I will not show you that, but... I'll tell you what, man, you know, fishing stories, a lot of weird things happen. This story is one of the greatest stories in the Bible. It's definitely, maybe other than Jonah, uh, one of the great fishing stories. But let me, just, let me just set up the scene. Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's showing up. This is like the third time he's revealed himself. And the disciples are weary. They're tired. They don't know what else to do. And I want you to write this down under point one, and then we're going to read from John 21. I want you to think about this with me. Number one. What to do when you don't know what to do? Is there a little pattern in our lives that we could just today agree on that when I'm in that place, when I don't know what to do with my marriage, I don't know what to do with my kids, I don't know what to do with my financial situation, I don't know what to do with that relationship at work, it's driving me crazy, this, or this singleness, or this whatever. I don't know what to do. What can I do? Are there any principles that might work? I believe there are. And I believe some of them are caught right here in John 21. So let's read a few verses in John 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, who we talked about the first week. We know him as Doubting Thomas, nicknamed the twin. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Now notice what happened here. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. I just like that. I just, he's, he says it with resolve. I'm going fishing. And then what happens? Everyone around him, this shows how much influence he had. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out to the boat. <laughs> I love this line. But they caught nothing all night. How many of you now relate to this fishing story? Okay. That's what I thought. There are three things in your notes I want you to jot down and I want to think about what I can do when I don't know what to do. Um, number one, I must do what I can. Peter was familiar with fishing. It was what he did before Jesus' days. For the last three years, he's been walking around, traveling with Jesus, being involved in the ministry. But vocationally, he was a fisherman by trade. When he reached a place in his life, when he thought, I don't know where Jesus is. I know he died. I know he is risen from the dead. Because Peter was one of the ones who blasted into the tomb and saw everything. And, you know, he knows Jesus is alive. But it's like he's not walking around with him anymore. Disillusionment. Maybe some discouragement. Maybe some disappointment. Excited he's alive, but it's not the same. What does it mean now? We've had three years of predictability, even though it's been quite a journey. Now he's gone. He's showing up occasionally. How do you handle life when you don't know what to do? I just want to say, if you could learn, and I could learn, to just first of all do what I can do. You, you can't fix your marriage by yourself. You can't change a, a rebellious teenager or a young adult, or maybe it's a parent that you're having a struggle with right now. How many of you know, how many of you are parents who sometimes can cause a problem? No, don't raise your hand. See, you, we have to know, I have to just sometimes do what I can do. And that is continue to do what God's asking me to do. Continue to pray for them. Continue to be kind. Don't play their game. Don't get sucked in. Peter just said, you know what, I don't know. 
I just know that I know how to fish and I'm going to go fishing. And they all said, us too. We're, we're in this together. And that's kind of the next thing I want to say is remain committed. Number two there under the subpoint, Remain committed to meaningful relationships. It's powerful when you and I don't know what to do and we have challenges in our life for us to not isolate from the people who love us. You ever tempted to just kind of run away and say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sick of this. And, and I watch this all the time. You guys, I see it. When people are disillusioned, they make poor decisions. They end up alone, which pushes them darker in a hole. And, and I love the fact that when Peter said, I'm going fishing, and I think he was intending to go alone, they said, we're coming with you. And he didn't say, no, I want to be alone. Just stay out of my boat. <laughs> They came with him. They were in his boat. Let's be people who are careful to push people, to not push people out of our boat. I, I heard something the other day. You know how some people, when they get frustrated, they just isolate and go into a pity party. How many of you have ever had a pity party? Come on, just be honest. Yeah, we, we all have. Oh, poor me. I heard someone say, you know, when you have a pity party, the devil brings the cake, the balloons, and the whistles. Because he loves it when you go into that mode. Why? Because you're useless. Everything's about you. All your focus, all your vision, everything you've been dreaming about, all the dreams die in a pity party. It just doesn't work. Peter did what he knew to do. I love that about him. You guys, just do what you can. And, and don't walk away from meaningful relationships. Those guys hung together. They got in a boat together. They were out there fishing together. And, and that means something. And then the third sub-point here is, and I don't like this one, but it's a reality. It may get worse before it gets better. <laughs> it, may, it may get worse before it gets better. Because here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that when Peter says, I'm going fishing, and they go, you know what, me too. I haven't caught a fish in a while. That would be kind of fun. Let's get the boat out. They go up to the Sea of Galilee, which is a beautiful place. And uh, they get out there in the water, and probably there's some good feelings. They throw the net a few times, and nothing, and <laughs> nothing. Well, let's go over here. We always catch fish over in that spot. How many of you have fishing holes? You just know you're going to. And they go over there, and nothing, nothing. <laughs> I don't know. My imagination's good or bad, depending on how you interpret that. But I can just see them thinking, oh, this is great. We can't even catch a fish. This is what we do when we can't even catch a fish. And sometimes that's how life is. You, you go to what has worked before and it doesn't work. You, you, sign, you try, you reach out to that person, they slam it in your face. You step out hoping and boom, hope's gone. Some of you are there right now. You're living this nightmare and you keep throwing the net. Keep throwing the net. Nothing, nothing. All night long, the Bible says, they fished and they caught absolutely nothing. <laughs> That's encouraging. Here's the big question before we move on. How do you respond when there is no fruit from your labor? What do you turn into? What do, you, what do you become when you work really hard and no one even sees that the house is clean? No one even sees you went the extra mile. No one even notices. It's really tough when you're in this mode and you're working really hard and no one cares and no one sees and there doesn't seem to be anything else happening. 
It's a tough time. Peter kept fishing. They kept fishing. They were working hard. I mean, the Bible says they fished all night long. Can I just say, and I'll move on, I promise this, this to you. Some of you, it's the nighttime. And the morning isn't that far away. Because this story takes an interesting twist at dawn. That's why you keep fishing through the night. That's why you keep throwing the net when it's not going so well. That's why you keep hope alive is because dawn is there and joy comes in the morning. Think about that in this journey. Number two, main, main point here. Be honest about reality without losing hope. When you're in a tough time, you, you need to be honest about the reality that you're looking at, but you must not lose the hope that God wants to put in your spirit. And, and here's what happens. You know, Jesus never denied reality. I'm, I'm put out with people who basically talk about faith as though it's ignoring reality. Like, oh, I don't see that. No, it's not going to happen. Oh, don't say that. You'll be cursed if you say that. Nope, I don't accept. No, Jesus looked at the leper and said, would you like me to heal you? He, he recognizes the need. And that's what hope is, and that's what faith is. It's, it's not denying reality. They didn't deny reality. They just knew they needed a miracle. Now, let's look at verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. Now, notice this doesn't say how long he had been there. It's probably at dawn that they saw him. He may have been there all night. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, Fellas, have you caught any fish? <laughs> That's the worst question possible. No, they replied. <laughs> How many of you would have just said, None of your business. Get off of my beach. I mean, there is something about attitude here that you got to love about these disciples. But the hardship, it, when it's thrown back in your face, how do you respond? Caught anything? No. Pretty much going to another job interview this week. Trying to talk to my spouse again. Hmm. Sorry. When there's no result. And you just keep trying and you stick with it. It's very difficult to face tough questions when you don't like the answers you have to give or hear. These are, these are, these are important components of this story. Because a lot is being formulated in these disciples' lives. Number three in your outline, and this one's interesting too, they were willing to take instruction. You know, they didn't just say, hey, you know, we are the fishermen, who are you? They were willing to listen, and I'm going to read it, verse 6. And keep in mind as I read this, they did not know that it was Jesus talking to them, did they? Not yet. Now, how many of you, if you know it's Jesus saying to you, it's an easy decision and you'll do it? Okay? I agree. If, if, if the Lord would have said, hey, you guys, it's me, the Lord. Put your net over here. Everything's going to be fine. They would have been like, awesome. Man, it's the Lord. We know what's going to happen now. But it's just some guy standing on a beach to them now. How do you respond to the stranger who's telling you what to do or suggesting what you might try? Oh, boy. 
Verse 6, Then Jesus said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. Say that with me. So they did. Say it again. So they did. Oh boy, if we could just learn that. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. This is all about attitude. How many people in our lives are trying to help trying to give you the word, trying, but there's stubbornness that creeps up in us, and I've done this before, and I know what I'm doing here. Give me that back. We hold on, and we become the authority on everything, and we can't listen, and we can't learn. Listen, children can teach you great lessons in life. It's about you and I saying, I will respond to counsel in my life. I will respond to someone who's offering a suggestion. I'm not saying you do everything everyone suggests you do. But know when to listen. And know how to change behaviors that might be destroying your lives. I'm so glad that they didn't say, we just had it on that side of the boat a little while ago. But thank you. You can go now. Have you ever met someone that rudely tries to be nice? That's not what's happening here. They threw the net on the other side of the boat because they didn't have that stubbornness, that independent something, that will that says no to everybody else, that you're usually right in the end. I'm going to do it my way. That's got to die in some of you today. Because God has a plan. He wants you to yield to Him. Submission is a powerful word in the Bible and in the kingdom of God. Will I listen to instruction? Will I receive what He says into my heart? Wow. No matter how much you know, there's always more to know. Right? And there's always a plan beyond my realm of understanding. We're about to see it. Let's move on. Number four. The Lord's provision comes in many, many ways. There there are so many different types of provision in the Bible. And this one you're going to see a couple. Um, all together, physical, emotional, spiritual, all of these things are met in this, the context of the story. Verse 7, then the disciple Jesus loved, who would that be? That's John. He's the disciple Jesus loved. He always says that of himself in his writing here. And he said to Peter, it's the Lord. Remember, they're about 100 yards out in the boat. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. They have Two, actually, two layers of garments, and when they were working, they would always take their outer tunic off because it was the nicer kind of thing. He jumped into the water, and he headed for shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards offshore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Here's food again. Foth loves this. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Don't you love that? What, is, what a statement that is. He's having a little barbecue for him. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to the shore, and here we have the 153. There were 153 fish, large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. I want you to notice three words. He says, bring some of the fish, quote, you've just caught. That's that's funny. Here here they fished all night, nothing. Jesus shows up and says, Hey, uh, throw your net over here. And they're like, 
Okay. And I don't know how this works. I don't know how miracles work in moments like this. Did Jesus sort of just go, fishy, fishy. Right over there on the right. You know, they're jumping. Run to the net, fish. Run, quick. Did he create the fish in that moment? They, they, they ran in. I mean, I don't know. It's a powerful miracle. But Jesus gets back to the shore and looks at the disciples and says, Bring some of the fish you've just caught. What's up with that? Do you think, how many of you think Jesus had something to do with the fish? Yes, he did. So what's he saying? He's saying, I need you too. I partner with you. I can do the miracle, but I need your hands. I need your eyes. I need your feet. I need your relationships. Let's use what you've done. Let's come together as a team and make a difference on the earth. Guys, that's still the mandate in our lives. That's still what God wants to do with us. (laughs) Come and bring the fish you've just caught. Praise God for that. I love that. You like that? I don't blame you. Usually I make people sleep, so that's encouraging. You know, one of the provisions I really like here is that the Bible says that he cooked breakfast for him. Here's fish, charcoal. I don't know how long he's had the fire going, but, you know, you don't just start a Well, maybe if you're God, you can just go, I don't know. But I want to—I want you to have this in your mind, just as a side point before we go to the last thing here. When was the last time you have Peter with a fire and Jesus? Can you recall it? Was in his denial. The last time Jesus and Peter have had this encounter around the fire, what was happening? They were saying, "You're one of them," and Peter's saying, "No way." The Bible says they were warming their hands at the fire. I don't know. It's just interesting to me that here he denies Christ three times. The rooster crows. And now Jesus on the beach recreates the moment. Here's the fire. And Peter's walking up out of the water. And Jesus is saying, hey, dude. What's he doing? He's letting Peter know. I remember what you've done. I know I told you you would, but guess what? It's okay. There's a plan for your life. When you mess up, there is a God who still loves you and partners with you. He doesn't change because of your mess up, but He might just build you another fire and cook you a nice breakfast because He believes in you that much. Lastly, number five in your outline, do I know... The Lord is with me. Do I know when He's really with me? I want to just read verse 12. Now, come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. (laughs) And then look at this. None of the disciples dared to ask Him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus served them. Jesus served them the bread and the fish. For some of you today, you're not sure where God went. It's nighttime. 
He's walking the beach. He knows you're in the boat. And he knows you're empty. And he knows you're trying to throw the net. But he's cooking a fire for you. Because he loves you more. And he's nearer than you think. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. All we can do is say thank you. It's powerful. I'm blown away at your love for me. Don't know why. Don't understand it. I don't deserve it. But that's why you're God. Wow. Would you let the power of the Lord permeate your mind and heart today? Would you let him touch you emotionally with heads bowed? Just Some of you really need healing in your thinking. You really need a place of rest today. You need to have breakfast with the Lord. You need to eat the fish He's prepared for you and the bread He's cooked for you. And you need to just be still and trust Him now. Anyone want to raise your hand to these things? Just lift it up. It's not for me. It's for you. But if you would say, I'm in that place. I don't know what to do. I just don't. I'm trying stuff, but I don't know what to do. Hold up your hand. God bless you. Lord, you see our hearts. Regardless of what it is, relationally, marriages, kids, family, work, money, whatever, we don't know what to do. It's a great place to be, to put our trust in you. Secondly, how many of you would just say, I've tried everything. There's no fish in the net. I'm tired of it. I'm weary. It's wearing me out. I need the Lord to speak. I need Him to be the miracle worker. I will be willing to throw the net, but I can't catch the fish. And you just need to own that and know it. Just raise your hand if that's you. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. We submit to you. We listen to you. We throw the net on the other side. We'll do what you put in our hearts to do. And for that one that doesn't know you personally today, they're separated by sin. If that's you today, just say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I'm sorry. Cleanse me. I trust you now for forgiveness that you did die on that cross. You were raised from the dead. And by faith, I will follow you. Give me the strength to forgive myself as you have forgiven me. In your name we pray these things, Lord, and we trust you. Thank you for 153 fish that we can talk about today. In your name. Amen. Amen. Ever. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So powerful. I want our prayer teams in both auditoriums to come now. and They're going to be up here to pray with you and connect with you. Those of you that just need a prayer personally before you go out of here, come on up and let us do that. Otherwise, I want you to walk out of here thinking about the stuff in your hand, the fact that God will help you and partner with you to make a difference in our community. I love you and I thank God for you. God bless you. Have a great rest of your weekend. Summit tonight. I hope you'll be there. If you're new to Timberline or haven't been, Bonnie, I look forward to it. God bless. Have a great weekend. Thanks for coming to Timberline. Visit the tables in the mall.